If you haven't heard of Madison Reed, well, it's the future of hair color. Madison Reed believes in a better way. They believe in beautiful, naturally healthy-looking hair and that all women deserve it. That's why they make their hair color in Italy, just outside of Milan, according to strict EU standards that require complete transparency. Better yet, Madison Reed is the first ever hair color free of ammonia, parabens, resorcinol, PPD, phthalates, and gluten. So if you're looking for gorgeous hair made with ingredients with integrity, go to madison-reed.com and take their easy color quiz to find your perfect shade. Get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit using promo code MEG, M-E-G. That's madison-reed.com, promo code M-E-G. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 20, Raising Successful Kids. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and I'm so glad you joined me today. In this episode, I will interview Dr. Tim Elmore best-selling author, international speaker, and founder of Growing Leaders, where he works passionately to develop the leaders of the next generation. He's written some great books, including 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Make, and I'm going to be talking with him about that book today. Also in this episode, I'll be featuring a listener question about a six-year-old superhero who complains a little bit too much when his mom wants him to do anything. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you to start using right away. Parents, as a reminder, don't just download these episodes, click subscribe, because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. You won't regret it. We'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is also now available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today and don't miss one single episode. Friends, life is short and kids grow fast. I know that some of you can't wait for your kids to get past a certain phase and others want life to slow down. If you're like I was as a young mother, you live every day just trying to survive instead of thriving. And then one day you wake up and realize that time has flown by and you wish that you had dot, dot, dot. Before one more year goes by, let me challenge you to make this year the best parenting year you've ever had. How? By making a few small changes in some key areas of your life. You don't need a personality overhaul, a new house, or to scour the internet for parenting tips. Believe it or not, you can make life with your kids a lot more fun, calm, and manageable by simply taking the time to make little changes in your parenting. I want to help you, and I have a great resource for you to kick off your best parenting year ever. Beginning this month, my course, Give Him a Faith in God, is available for individual purchase. I specifically chose this course to start the year off because of the importance of establishing a spiritual foundation for your children. 
Give Him a Faith in God is a multimedia course guiding you and sharing ways to be an example for and lead your children through their spiritual journey. And my comprehensive parenting course, The 12 Principles of Raising Great Kids, is now available along with many other resources covering topics such as parenting strong-willed children, a toolkit on how to have the talk, yes, that talk, and over a dozen ebooks. Just go to megmeekermd.com and click on Parenting Resources. After all, great kids are raised, not born, and I can help. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 20. Stay with us. So let's tackle points to ponder. Point number one, teach your kids how to fail and get back on their feet. You know, every successful person, whether that's in business, relationships, or personal success, knows how to persevere after failure. It's one of the most important gifts that we can give our children. And yet many times... We do our best to keep failure away from them. Like my friend John O'Leary says, so many times we parent as though we're trying to keep our kids from dying, not living. But I understand this. I mean, I'm a mom. I have four grown kids. I'm a grandmother. And allowing our kids and even sort of steering our kids in a direction where we know they're going to have trouble is really hard. I've led the pack when it comes to being guilty of protecting my kids because I don't want them to get their feelings hurt. I don't want them to feel bad after they lose a game or try to do something that they may not be good at and risk them being made fun of. And so I I really understand how parents want to keep our kids from failing. But I can tell you, Every successful person knows how to fail and how to stand back up on their feet. So I strongly encourage you to find opportunities for your kids to lose. You know, games are a great way to do that. Get your kids to try something they may not be very good at, but that they'd like to do. And if they don't do it very well, applaud them for their effort. Tell them the whole point is just to go out there and give it your great effort. And the outcome is much less important than what they learn along the way. The other thing that you can do is encourage kids to try things that they might not be very good at, but you can teach them you don't always have to be the best at everything you do. Many times it's in trying things that you may not initially be good at that turn out to be the things that you really want to spend your time later on in life. Many times people end up in careers that they didn't think they'd ever have, but they sort of happened along the way to develop an interest in something. And even though they didn't feel very good about it, at the very beginning, their interest grew, their talent in that area grew, and if they would have never had the opportunity to try something that they liked but might not have been good at, they might have foregone a career opportunity. And if your kids engage in something and they try something they're interested in and they don't do well at it, don't shame them. Don't talk to them about how they failed and don't talk about disappointment. It's kind of like getting that report card and, you know, where they've got the couple of A's and they've got a B and a D. Don't focus just on the D. Focus on how hard they tried to study or how hard they tried at the football game or at the music recital. Failure in your children is not a sign of weakness, but it's an opportunity to let their strengths come through. Failure develops strength. Failure develops resiliency. And no matter what we go into life, life is hard. And the people who are happy, the people who make it through are those who know what resiliency is all about. 
Second point to ponder, never remove consequences for bad behavior. And I know Dr. Elmore talks about this in his book as well. Parenting is exhausting. I get it. I totally get it. And many times we set rules for our kids. We tell them what the consequences for bad behavior are going to be. Then they break the rule and we're too tired to implement the consequence. Don't do that. If you're too tired to implement a consequence, you're better off just not making a rule. Because what kids learn is that the rules don't really apply and it doesn't really matter because nothing bad is going to happen to them if they break a rule. It's one of the most cruel things you can do as a parent is to set your kids up believing that they can break rules and no consequences are going to happen. Conflict is not fun, but conflict happens when we implement consequences, but never let that conflict keep you from doing what you know is right. So stay strong. If you remove consequences, your daughter or son learns that it's absolutely fine to live by his own rules, and this will lead him into disaster, whether it's a job, relationships, you name it. Point to ponder number three, focus on developing your child's character, not happiness. Your child will end up having both character and be happy. As Dr. Elmore talked about, happiness will be a byproduct If you focus on developing strong character, but if you focus just on allowing your child to grow up to be happy, you end up with a child who really isn't very resilient and thinks that his happiness in the moment should trump everything else. And that's just not life. We all want our kids to be happy. And this is a very normal parenting instinct, particularly for us mothers. But life isn't always happy. And as good parents, we want our kids to learn how to deal with boredom, discouragement, sadness, anxiety, and loss. And we've got to teach our kids what to do when they're bored, what to do when they're discouraged, how to respond when they're feeling sad or anxious, or even if they're grieving a loss of something. So that's very important not to always default to happiness and to try to teach them to be happy in the midst of that, but to teach them how to get through difficult times, develop that character, and the happiness will follow. If our kids don't learn to deal with these while they're under our roof, how much harder will it be for them to develop those while they're on their own? So those are my very important three points to ponder. Teach your kids how to fail and get right back up on their feet. Never remove consequences for bad behavior. And remember, as much as you want to say, I want my kids to do whatever they want as long as they're happy, change your thinking and change your verbiage. Say, I want to focus on helping my child develop strong character and happiness will come. Now I'd like you to listen to a conversation I had with Dr. Tim Elmore about how to raise successful kids, what successful kids really look like, and how to avoid common pitfalls along the way. I know you're going to love it. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being with me. Um, You wrote a wonderful book, 12 Huge Mistakes That Parents Can Avoid, and you talk about um, what parents can do to help our kids succeed in life and particularly some of the mistakes that we make that cause them not to succeed. What do you consider success in kids? Well, Meg, thanks for for asking. It's great to be with you. I would say, when I think about that question, I would say a successful parent is someone who is leading and developing their child so that they can function as well-adjusted adults at the end of the journey and reach their potential. And I think for us today in our generation of parents, this means we need to be thinking prepare, not just protect. 
I feel like we've done a lot better job protecting than preparing. So uh, in that book, I just try to help make some of the adjustments. It's not that we don't want to protect our kids, but we need to be thinking ahead. How are we getting them ready for life? Well, and, and you know, you're absolutely right, because what I have found as a pediatrician is that many parents um, think about what they can do and they want to protect and they want to make life easy. And you write about that in your book. But uh, one of the first mistakes you talk about in your book is that parents don't want to let our kids fail. Why do kids need to fail? <laughs> it's a great question. I get asked this all the time because I think, Meg, we, we have a natural predisposition to say, well, let's set them up to succeed at every single thing they do. That's normal. Uh, and by the way, I should probably add, I am a fan of parents and kids. I love kids. Some of the things I think I say in the book may sound harsh, but it's because I want them to be ready. Yeah. And we work with so many schools that where we just see kids that aren't quite ready. So um, when psychologists talk about this very issue, they, they use a term, we are often over-functioning parents, mm-hmm. meaning we care so much about the outcomes, and we really do. So we're so intent on nurturing the self-esteem and the safety of our children that, that we end up doing too much. In fact, if I can push pause real quick, I see two extremes out there, Meg. Um, when I see a child not really ready for adulthood when they're supposed to be young adults, uh, it's one of two extremes that have happened, either abundance or abandonment. Mm. If parents in their life didn't do enough, they weren't there enough, and we certainly hear those stories, or they did too much. There was so much they did for their child, all well-intentioned, but their kid is then ill-equipped because mom did it all. So um, first and foremost is we. I think we won't let our kids fail because – um, I think we feel like failures as parents if our kids mm-hmm. fail. Um, I think we assume failure will damage their self-esteem. I, I'd love to hear your volley back on that. But we somehow think, oh, my gosh, they're fragile. And so we need to make sure they succeed. If they fail, surely it's going to damage them. And then lastly, I think we somehow assume that good parents should never allow negative experiences to happen to their child. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you think, Meg, but I feel like, as long as my parents loved me, and they did love me growing up, the negative experiences were when I learned the most. When I failed at, at, at making the team or I failed at a, uh, a, a test or something. So, um, so i got to be honest with you. I've seen dozens of parents in Starbucks doing the homework for their children. I mean dozens and dozens. It's ridiculous. I read about one mom who actually tried to take a standardized test for her daughter. Wow. Um, one in eight millennials now brings their parent to the job interview. And I'm talking about they're launching their career. Seriously? And mom's there. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that piece of data. Oh. Wow. They yeah. bring their parents to a job interview. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I love the I love this because I totally agree with you because we need to let our kids fail. And as I look back at my own life and I look at, you know, my now adult children's lives and, and what they went through, it really is through our failures where character shines and character develops. You know, my husband and I have three adult daughters now and our youngest is a son. So our, our fourth is a son. And my son said, said something to me that was chilling, and I'll never forget it. When he was 18 years old, he looked me in the eye, and he said, and he was six foot two, and he looked down at me, and he said, Mom, stop talking to me like there's something wrong with me. And I realized that I was communicating to him, you can't, because you could fail, and if you fail, your life 
is going to be horrible. What a yeah. horrible thing to do to a child. And so I just sort of spun myself around and said, never again. And I apologized to him. Because, see, I think mothers do this maybe more than dads do. We, we want to protect and we want to make sure that our child yeah. doesn't fall. We don't want them to get bullied. We don't want their feelings hurt. We, we want to be there and we want to fight their fights. So how do we peel ourselves back from that and stand back and say, okay, go for it, fall on your face? Well, it's a great question, and I don't know that there's a magic formula, but first of all, I want to make sure I'm not communicating today that we should set our child up for failure. I don't think any parent wishes that. No. But because we reflect, you and I, and say, wow, my best growth times happened when I failed, we need to not prevent that. So we need to think, prepare, not prevent. That that would be number one. As I'm leading my child, I need to think, prepare, not prevent. Um, Secondly, um, I think... um, We need to do what you just said. We need to consider the message we're sending. And every action and every bit of leadership we offer to our child in the home, on the softball field, wherever it is, what message am I sending when I communicate this piece? You came to grips with the fact that you were sending, you're you're telling your son, something's wrong with you, you know? And that last thing you wanted to say, but he felt that. So I think then we need to observe their growth and maturity and encourage them to take on opportunities that will stretch them. And then as they mature, I think we need to lead with questions. Let the failure happen. And then rather than say unwitting things like what's wrong with you or I'm so sorry, let's never do that again. We need to be asking, why do you think that happened? Mm -hmm. How did it make you feel? How could you have handled that differently perhaps? And next time that happens, what do you think you could do? But that screams to my child, you can be resilient. Yeah. You can come back and, and, and win this. And so anyway, I'll stop there. But I feel like those kinds of that kind of thinking really makes our child go, oh, my gosh, she actually believes in me. She thinks I can do this. And boy, that's what you want your kid to, to hear as their parent. Absolutely. Kids, children want to hear <clears throat> adult children and, and teenage kids and even younger kids is that my parent believes that I can not my parent is trying to protect me because I really can't because I really am fragile every girl with anorexia nervosa that I have treated has felt as though she's never failed and she's terrified to fail not not just for herself but also to feel that she's going to let her parents down so I think there's more to this too I, I think that kids need to see that you can give your best effort on the hockey game you can shoot for the goal you can miss the goal and you can feel like a failure and the whole team is mad at you but doggone you get off the ice and your dad is just so happy that you worked so hard that's a very important lesson for kids to realize that my dad and my mother think i'm 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 lovable and good even in the face of failure gee whiz failing isn't that bad yeah, absolutely. It should not be the enemy. And that if a child comes through our, our homes and they don't feel like it's the enemy, we have done a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you've read after Carol Dweck, but she has been a hero to me. Carol Dweck wrote a great book called Mindset. She's a Stanford psychologist, and she tells us we need to affirm variables that are in their control, not out of their control. When we affirm variables that are out of the control, we might say, you're smart, And our child is unwittingly thinking, well, either I am or I'm not. So she would say, instead of saying you're smart, say, I love the strategy you used on that math problem. Or, you know, I love how honest you are with your friends. Those sound so old fashioned, but those are variables that make our child realize it is the work I put in or the effort rather than mom just thinks I'm awesome, whatever I do. 
And I know that's not real. And they begin to even question our judgment. You're absolutely right. And and then kids end up thinking, what is my parent thinking? Are they not living in the same world I am? My mother tells me I'm a fabulous soccer player and I'm terrible. <laughs> but, but what does she not see? So let's jump to mistake number six. We lie about our kids' potential. You know, we all see our kids through rose-colored glasses. Um, so... What's the difference between loving your child and adoring your child and thinking they're, you know, and we want to be their number one fan, but how do we do that and be realistic about their potential? It's a great question. And I got to be honest with you, the first thing that came to my mind was, have we not all watched an early episode of American Idol? And you're, you're listening to them thinking, who are your friends? <laughs> you yes. know? Who let you get out there? Yes. And, and of course, then they become an embarrassment. And, and then they wonder, how did this mismatch happen? Well, it happened because people were not being honest with them. So my, my thought here is this. We live in a world of hyperbole. Everything's awesome. Everything's amazing. Everything's, you know, we're putting six emojis on our text. Because we just have to scream exaggerations. First of all, we need to get rid of the hyperbole and talk honestly. That gets them to believe us. Yes. Secondly, I think we need to be affirming areas that are their gift. And we need to encourage strengths rather than saying they're awesome in areas that we know darn well they're weak. Yeah. I'll give you an example. When my children entered middle school, uh, I began to change the way I looked and spoke to them about the report card. If my daughter, Bethany, let's say, brought home three A's, two B's and a D, a typical parent, including me, would have immediately focused on the D. You know, right, right. what's wrong with you? Aren't you paying attention? Well, that just made everything else miserable in the house. Sure. And then she started feeling like a loser. I instead said, Bethany, let's focus on those A's. Where? What happened to you in those? Well, Dad, I love that subject. And I think I get. And then I would begin to affirm. Well, now that set up a very good attitude to talk about the D and make sure she didn't sabotage her entire success with the D. But we need to make sure, again, I go back to that comment, that we're affirming variables that are in their control, not out of their control. I love that. I mean, I love that. You know, you can sink your teeth into that and you can go, okay, this is out of their control. This is in their control. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Tim Elmore. We need to take a quick break now, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Dr. Tim Elmore. Parents, I know so many of you are trying to live healthier lives. But if you're like me, you know that on many days, living a healthy lifestyle plays second fiddle to living a hectic lifestyle. That's a struggle we're all familiar with. So let me tell you about Daily Energy, the natural one-a-day solution that will help keep you on the right track every single day. Daily Energy helps your body absorb nutrients from the foods you're already eating because it has digestive enzymes and essential prebiotics and probiotics. Daily Energy also delivers the antioxidant equivalent of 10 servings of fruits and veggies. Think how long it would take you to prepare that every day. Just for being a faithful listener of this podcast, they've got a special offer for you. You can try Daily Energy for yourself and save 30% when you go to getdailyenergy.com forward slash Meg. Friends, you don't have to sacrifice healthy just because you're busy. Just go to getdailyenergy.com forward slash Meg and get 30% off your daily energy order today. 
Moms, you're going to want to listen to this. I know you're busy. You've got the kids, the job, the demands, the expectations, and of course, you still need to feed your family healthy meals. But that means another trip wandering around the grocery store trying to figure out what to buy and what to cook for dinner. Let me tell you about Prep Dish. Prep Dish is a meal planning service that sends you an email each week with a grocery list and a prep ahead list so you can easily get all your meals ready for the week minus the stress. The recipes you get from Prep Dish will only take one to three hours to cook, but will get you set with a week's worth of meals. Just imagine how much time that'll save you. Your family will eat delicious, healthy meals like smoky paprika chicken legs with roasted carrots, parsnips and fennel, or turkey and zucchini lasagna, all with food you buy at your favorite grocery store. But this time, armed with all the tools you'll need to save time in the kitchen so you can give that time back to your family. Friends, listeners of my Parenting Great Kids podcast can get started today with a free two-week trial of Prep Dish by going to PrepDish.com forward slash parenting. Don't waste any more time playing the meal planning guessing game. Go to PrepDish.com forward slash parenting to start your free two-week trial today. Parents today are very focused on performance and helping their kids to have a great portfolio. And one of the mistakes that you write about is that we, you know, sort sort of superimpose our identity onto our kids and we sort of blend them. You say it in a different way, but, um, you know, that we live through our kids. And this is a real danger, isn't it, in sort of focusing on on our child's performance and yeah. we set them up for failure because if our kids perform well, then we feel like really good parents. But you're asking people to say, wait a minute, don't focus on their performance. Let's sort of look more to their heart and their character and, and their talents and gifts. Um, but sometimes that makes parents feel like less of a parent. So talk to yeah. those parents about that. Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. I probably sound like your grandpa right now, but we've got to focus first on the being, not the doing. Yes. I think if we get their being right, meaning their heart, their character, their sense of self, their identity, if that issue is resolved and it's placed in things that cannot be taken away, the doing will naturally follow. I really believe that. Now, of course, we want them to perform well, but I actually believe we could create hollow kids in many ways. And then they fall into performance traps, Meg. It's all about, oh my gosh, I'm never good enough. I've got to be good enough for my dad to like me. When I meet with university students that that have been raised this way, they are horribly insecure. So let me throw out something I did not put in the book, but might be a helpful thought real quick. I have come to believe about my own parenting and certainly the parent conferences that I do, that when, th- when conflict comes up with my child, I will either lead them out of relief or belief, meaning I'm exhausted, they're exhausted, something's just failed, and I want to relieve the stress. Mm-hmm. So I just say something distorted or I, I vent, sometimes I vent and I'm mad at them, but I'm relieving myself of the feeling. But if we lead out of relief, we generally don't lead well. Mm-hmm. But if I lead out of belief, meaning I'm going to love you enough through this and say, I know you can do this. By the way, there's a phrase that uh, a team of psychologists came up with that um, improves effort by 40% minimum. And it's this phrase. I'm giving you this, these comments because I know you can, you can achieve them. And, and, and I 
yeah, I, I have high expectations. I know you can do this. That communicates belief rather than relief. And I, I just feel like we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves, how am I leaving right now? Is it out of relief of the tension and stress or is that a belief in their, in their abilities? You know, that's an excellent point, and it talks, and it sort of uh, folds back into what we were talking earlier about failure. But, Tim, you're talking about some pretty tough parenting, strong parenting. And that's why, you know, I talk a lot about strong parenting. We don't need nice parenting. We don't need hyper-parenting. We need parents who really sort of function from a place of strength and not fear you know to to, to tell our kids i believe that you can do this maybe you can't this and maybe you can't this and you're going to have a hard time getting there but you know what you can get there i'll never forget when uh, i uh, sent off all my medical school applications when i was a kid and senior in college everyone came back and um i was rejected every single school and i felt like my life was over now my parents never pushed me to do that um, but I overheard my father having a phone conversation with a friend in his study after all my rejection letters came in. And I heard him say, you know, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school in the next couple of years. And my world changed, Tim. My world changed. Because in the midst of me feeling like a total flop and failure, I overheard my, say, my father say, she can. Yeah. And, you know, my father doesn't even remember saying that. And yet, when I was... 30, 40 years old writing books, I heard my father's voice go, you can. Not forget about it. You, you feel like a failure, but you can. So that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, when you said, when you shared what you just did, I remember a time with my dad, I remember working at a fast food restaurant at 16 and um, it was four miles away and I didn't have a car yet. And my parents allowed me to ride my bike to work at 16 years old, four miles away, before school started. I was wandering down the parking lot, oh. but I wanted the extra money. And what I remember most is they talked to me about safety, and they talked to me about making wise decisions, but they didn't say, oh, good God, don't do that. You, can't, you know, you can't do that. The fact that they believed in me, I thought, well, maybe I can do this. And I have never doubted, thanks to my parents, that I could do whatever I set my mind to do. And I started my career at 19. I wasn't brilliant, but, but, but I had started because my parents just thought he can do this. And it, was, it just spoke the world to me. Absolutely. And that's a critical component for yeah. a successful adult. Somebody who grows up to, to be a leader needs to understand that there are going to be a, a lot of huge obstacles in my way, but I'm yeah. just going to plow through them. Tim, one of the mistakes that parents make that you write about is you say that um, many parents make the mistake of preparing the path for the child yeah. instead of preparing the child for the path. Can you talk <laughs> about that? So what I mean by prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child is we need to be thinking, um, how am I getting my child ready? And um, let me share a couple of thoughts that might be handles for the listeners right now. Uh, research out of UC Berkeley, which I thought was very, very good, said every child growing up needs to, to have a parent that is both responsive and demanding. Responsive basically means I love you. I get you. I believe in you. I'm attentive to you. But demanding says because I believe in you, I'm not going to let you settle for mediocre when I know you're capable of excellence. Yeah. These are the standards. This is how our family is run. And you can do this. I love you enough to hold you to this. 
Brilliant. Now, what I think you'll know immediately is we tend to lean toward one or the other. We tend to be re- all responsive. I love you. You're awesome. You're amazing. Thank you for putting the fork in the dishwasher. You're amazing. Or do we not know parents that are all demanding? Yeah. The child's never good enough. The child's never, you know, make the grade, make the team, make the money. And, and so if we can balance, I, we, I call it the velvet covered brick. We lead with velvet, but there's brick. There's grace and truth. There's, there's tough and tenderness. And I believe that's how we begin to prepare the child for the path. They go into their careers and their marriages, if that's what's ahead of them, knowing they can do it, knowing it's going to be hard, but mom and dad got me ready. I need to, real quick, I know I need to, we need to wrap this up, but my daughter Bethany, three years into her career, called me uh, and she said, hey dad, and I said, hey babe, how are you doing? And she said, fine. I said, why'd you call? She said, oh, I just called to say thanks. And I said, well, every parent likes to hear that, but thanks for what? And she thought for a minute, she goes, oh, everything. And I said, well, I appreciate that. But, you know, I knew something was driving her. And this is what she ended up saying. She said, well, dad, I guess the reason I'm calling is I'm in an office with a bunch of other 20-somethings and nobody knows knows what they're doing around here. They're all so ill-equipped and they're all so unready for this. And then she said, I guess I just called to say, I think you and mom got me ready. I just wanted to say thanks. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you just made my year uh, to say I got the tools in my tool belt to do life. And uh, that's that's what every parent wants to hear. And and that I think it came from responsive and demanding uh, in our house. You know, it's so beautiful to hear, but it's bittersweet, isn't it? Because what (laughs) because what Bethany was saying is, Dad, you did a great job. I don't need you in many ways. But isn't that painful? But that's good. And I think that we want to hold on to all the good. And that's why I think a lot of mothers in particular, we do this with our sons, is we want to hold on and hold on and hold on because and this is what many part of why I think many young men don't want to launch is because mothers... We just need to be needed by them because our identity as their mother and as their provider and as their source of happiness and their source of comfort. And we are the, we are the, the, the one who clears the path. And, and if we haven't prepared them to sort of knock through some obstacles, you know, we, we, we really don't want to feel that, um, you don't need me anymore. But, but that's where freedom is, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, that you may have put your finger on the number one reason we don't do this better. And none of us are perfect, but we have our own emotional needs. And if I need my child to need me and to love me and want me and, you know, all those things, then we may not be good parents because we're our own needs dictate our interactions rather than I'm getting you ready. And one day I hope that you'll say you love me, but you're so able to self-regulate you're self-sufficient, and you come back because you want to be together, not because you desperately need mama at 28 years old to get you ready. Yeah, so, so true. We don't have much time. We have a couple minutes left, Tim, but I want to hear you talk about happiness in kids. Every parent says, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. Where do we go wrong with happiness, and why should creating happy kids not be a parenting goal? Well, I think fundamentally, I believe that happiness is a horrible goal, but a wonderful byproduct. So when we say, and we, I mean, what parent hasn't said that? I just want my child to be happy. And that becomes the goal. Mm -hmm. Then they're seeking it in shopping. They're seeking it in dating and marriage. They're seeking it in all kinds of 
just, I think, pardon me, illegitimate uh, um, activities. I think um, what I try to do is help my children identify their primary strengths, find places to serve their gifts up to the world around them. So they're seeking purpose, not happiness. And if they find a sense of mission and purpose in using their gifts, I find happiness always follows. It's trailing right behind. But I need to remove the happiness goal and make it um, a byproduct of finding purpose and, and, and asking that Viktor Frankl question, what's life requiring of me? What's life asking of me? And then meeting those needs, solving those problems. I tell school principals all the time, we want to help you raise graduates who can solve problems and serve people. And what, what parent or educator doesn't want that at the end of the journey? That's a great point. If we do the right thing and the good thing in our parenting, then the happiness really comes. It, it, it really does, but, but not making it a goal. What I love about your work, Tim, is that you really talk about parenting and encouraging parents, but really you're talking about growing leaders and, and what parent doesn't want their child to turn into a great leader, whether they're leading in their marriage or, um, in their job or, you know, on their team or, you know, place of business, anything. Because leadership is so critical, and I think this—if they, you know, follow what we've been talking about today—that's going to happen, and they're going to be happy people too. Absolutely. In fact, that's why we established our organization, our nonprofit. It's partnering with schools and civic organizations and sports clubs and churches just to help them develop leaders. And by the way, we think leadership has less to do with a position and more to do with a disposition. Mm-hmm. It's a way of looking at life, wherever I fall on the flow chart. Like you said, leading myself, leading my family. So you're right. If we teach them that definition, and then they become well-adjusted adults who find their gifts and are willing to serve them up, they're going to have influence, and that's what we think it's all about, no doubt. Tim Elmore has been my guest. His book is 12 Huge Mistakes That Parents Can Avoid. It's a fabulous book. Every parent should read it. And Tim, um, how can our listeners um, get hold of you or find out more about your work? Yeah, thanks, Meg. Our website's probably the easiest way to find us, and there's a lot of free downloads there, articles and so forth. But our website is simply growingleaders.com, growingleaders.com. And uh, there's the Habitude series there that starts conversations around the dinner table and and so forth. So that would be the, the best place to contact us. Thank you. Wonderful resource for all parents. Thank you so much for being with me, Tim. Thank you, Meg. Great to be with you. Parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD, or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. That's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Today I have a question from Linda, and she writes Dear Dr. Meg, I'm a single mom and my child complains and whines every time I want him to go hiking, biking, or walking. He loves superheroes and he's six years old. We try and make it an adventure. Any suggestions? Well, Linda, I want to first tell you that most six-year-olds complain when you ask them to do anything. So don't be deterred by the fact that your son complains every time you say, hey, let's go do something, because it doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't like hiking and biking and walking. He just kind of wants to do what he wants to do. So what I would encourage you to do is expect him to complain and take it very lightly. You either learn to ignore it or you can make a joke out of it. Second thing I encourage you to do is ask what activities he would like to do 
and plan ahead for those. If he doesn't like hiking and he'd rather go swimming or he doesn't like biking and he'd rather go bowling, say, you know what, honey? It's okay. We can do those things, but I want to know what you like to do. And I'm going to plan some activities for you. And after I take you bowling, then the next day you and I are going to go for a hike because that's what I like to do too. So you don't want to always do things that he likes to do. You want to teach him that sometimes he's got to do what you or his dad like to do if he's with his dad or friends like to do if he's over to a friend's house, whatever. So you want to give him some leeway, but you also want to ask him what he likes to do. Finally, it's very important for you to keep him moving. Um, being active is very important for his health. And you can tell him that as part of your family, this is what you do. You know, you can teach him, I'm your mom and it's important for me to exercise every day. And you're my son. And this is just what we do in our family. We have to get out and exercise every day. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our lungs. And also being outside is, is very, very important. So what I would just encourage you to stay the course. Don't worry about his whining. Don't worry about his complaining. Talk to him about how superheroes always hike and bike and walk and bowl and do all sorts of fun things. But then when he does complain, just keep on going. Thanks so much for your question. My next question comes from my father who has a four and a half year old daughter who is a perfectionist. And he writes, we have a four and a half year old daughter who is almost always sweet and engaging. However, my wife and I have started to notice a trend that when she's coloring and then goes outside the lines, she becomes inconsolable and ends up scribbling all over her picture in tears and frustration. We're concerned that this may be an early sign of perfectionism, and we were wondering if you could offer advice for how we can communicate to her in a way that she can understand at this developmental level that it's okay to color outside the lines and help her to control her emotions amidst her frustration. What a wonderful question. Are you sure, sir, that you have not met my granddaughter? Because this sounds exactly like my granddaughter. It's not uncommon for young girls to want to be perfectionist. Some girls, it comes through in their artwork, some with their schoolwork, some with the clothes that they wear. They may not like the way certain clothes feel on their body. So what you're encountering with your daughter is not terribly uncommon. First thing I want to encourage you, it isn't necessarily a sign that she's a perfectionist. It could be a stage, but it could not be a stage. And she could be a perfectionist. One of the most important things to do when your daughter screams and has her temper tantrum and cries is for you and your wife not to overreact. Don't get caught up into trying to soothe her and appease her. Don't get wound up in responding to her tears and trying to console her because what happens is that makes her temper tantrum and her frustration bigger than it really needs to be. So when she screams and cries, be very matter of fact and say, okay, honey, well, Let's just try another picture or let's do another activity. It's not that big of a deal. So try to transition her into doing something else and don't let her dwell on how upset she is that she feels she just ruined her her whole picture. 
The second thing to do is to help her relax. Um, and this is going to take time. Teach your daughter to do things that aren't going to always turn out perfectly well. For instance, you can give her other crafts and challenges that she can work with that aren't going to turn out perfectly. For instance, could you give her some finger paints? Now, this will be a real challenge for a perfectionistic young girl because it's hard to make a finger paint painting that looks perfect. But what you're trying to do is get her to relax in her craft making and relax in the work that she does. And a teacher, it's okay to create things and craft things that aren't going to turn out exactly the way she wants them to. So you're trying to do that, but it's going to take months, remember. It's not going to happen in weeks that you get her to relax in making crafts that aren't perfect. It's going to take a lot of time. The other thing I encourage you to do is always praise her effort, not the results. One of the things that can happen with perfectionistic children is they want a perfect outcome. And they want you to praise their perfect outcome. So rather than you getting caught up in that, which is a very easy thing to do when you have a high-performing perfectionistic child, it's very important that you praise her effort and that you don't focus on what her picture looks like or the outcome of whatever it is she's doing. You talk about her diligence. You talk about her patience in performing a long task. You talk about how good it is that she tries over and over and over. Um, you praise her hard work ethic. Many times parents, when they see their kids get frustrated with doing something like coloring, the child gets frustrated with how they're coloring. The parent says, oh, no, 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 but you are very good. See, many places you did stay in the line, so it's really okay. Don't go there. Switch the subject, change her focus, and talk about how great it is that she continues to color even though she's frustrated and she continues to do other things even though it might seem hard for her at that time. So don't focus on the outcome and that'll help her not to focus on the outcome as well. Parents, I love answering your questions, so keep sending them to me. You can email me your parenting questions to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Friends, I know that we've talked about some really hard things today, and most of us intellectually know what we need to do. We need to help our kids learn to fail. We need to make consequences stick. But practically and emotionally, I understand that these are really hard things to do. And so that's why I'm here encouraging you to stay the right course. You can do this. I'm here to encourage you and to help you do the hard stuff of parenting. I get it. I'm a mom, I'm a grandmother, and I've had the exact same struggle. But I'm here to tell you that what we've talked about today really does work. Dr. Elmore is a pro. And if I had learned one thing about raising kids in 30 years, it's this. The things in life that are the toughest, like parenting, have the highest reward. And that means doing the hard work with your kids will result in in the most successful kids. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Tim Elmore, and encourage you to look up his book, The 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Make and How to Avoid Them. And before I go, let me recap my points to ponder. First, teach your kids to fail. Let them fail and pull themselves back up off their feet. Two, never remove consequences for bad behavior. And three, parent your child's character, not happiness. So until next time, parents, remember, great kids are raised, not born. 
Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Episode 20, Raising Successful Kids. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. Just as a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast. Write us a review and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode.